today on the book, Listen, The Art of Effective Conversation by Dale Carnegie and Associates. I'd love to just say hi to everybody, and then uh, we'll go on to a little brief summary and then more of the discussion. So we have Janice Pelagamas. Hello, everyone. And Roxanne Gardner. Hello. We have Kate Morse. Hello, everyone. Nacho Del Moral. Hi, hello from Spain. And uh, Stephanie Barwick. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Um, so this book is written by Dale Carnegie and Associates, which was a company that was founded in 1912. So this book is sort of a spinoff of those kinds of themes that the Dark Dale Carnegie and Associates Incorporated Foundation really focuses on. Um, and this one was uh, focusing on specifically listening. As I was reading this book, I was really thinking about how listening is such a huge part of what we do as educators and how it can really influence people and help them feel validated and help them feel understood. And for us to learn more about them and understand them can really enrich our lives as well. I wanted to turn it around to all of you to get some of your impressions of the book. So listening is an attitude. It's more than getting the word and giving it significance. I usually listen to answer, trying to listen to understand. I found it helpful and difficult too. Mm -hmm. The idea to step back, differentiating the emotions from the message. Wow. I found them a little tough to take in the way that they they sort of promoted running up the ladder of inference in a way that I did not like. For example, the types of listeners where they said the combatives, I felt like that was really not taking the basic assumption and holding it tight. And the other thing about their use of stereotypes that I, I thought actually worked against them was that one of the most amazing things I think is when I listen and I'm surprised because I listen and now I understand and my assumptions are blown out of the water. They're completely overturned. And they didn't really provide examples of that that I saw. Maybe I missed them. But that to me is one of the richest ways, uh, one of the richest things to gain from listening. I actually like that it has some difference in approach than the way that we think. We tend to read things that reinforce how we think. I think it's really good when we read things that require us to, in a way, test our hypothesis and, and say, yes, I still want to hold on to this. Yes, I still value this. Yes, I still think that running up the ladder of inference is not a good thing and that this can get you into trouble and find the nuggets that can potentially help us move forward. So I liked that it wasn't 100% compatible with the way we approach the world and teaching and thinking. I think that's healthy to have discourse. You don't have to agree with it, but I think it helps us challenge our thinking a little bit. In particular, I, I think the seven types of listeners landed poorly on a lot of people. And I think the idea of listening to understand and the process of the responsibility of the receiver of the conversation, I think that 
is not deeply understood. And as we think about how do we teach people to do that, that's a complex tool that depends on the situation and and requires a lot of self-reflection. So I think that was an important take home and got me thinking about how do we incorporate that into speaking up, into listening and debriefings, having difficult conversations. Um, So for that reason, I liked it. And I think it's a little bit of pop psychology. The seven types of listeners, as presented in the book, is the preoccupied. And these are people that are rushed, constantly looking around to do something else. They multitask. The second type is out to lunchers, where they're daydreaming and making a goal to ask a question. The third are interrupters, focused on guessing what you're going to say and thinking about what they're going to say. Fourth are the whatevers, who don't seem to care. Fifth type is combative who enjoy disagreeing and um, blaming. The analysts are constantly in an analyzing mode, um, analyzing what you're saying and and trying to fix it mode. Uh, And then the engagers who listen with their eyes, ears, and, and try to put themselves in the speaker's shoes. I have to say that when I'm in conversations, these various things happen. I'd like to be an interrupter right now. It wasn't that we were characterizing or that they were characterizing people. When I read it, I was like, I am all of these things. Well, I'm glad you said what I was going to say. In one conversation, you could potentially go through all these options, depending on what the conversation is about. You know, why is listening so hard? What what makes it so hard for us to, in some ways, this is personal. It should be such an easy thing. I'm going to take us back seven years ago. <laughs> you and I were talking about listening. Often we tell people, you know, in the course, okay, you ask a question, then you got to listen. And from what I've discovered in my interactions with Rebecca's expertise, listening is not easy to do. And you and I came across, I don't know if you remember this, we came across the Chinese character of listen. And it was so fantastic. Like we even put it in a slide. It was, so for those of you that have never seen it, it's an ear on one side. So it's like embedded meaning. And then on the right side, it's got you, eyes, undivided attention, heart. So it's got all of these elements in one. And from the book, I think they they do get at that. Reframing your own frames is the most difficult thing. So sort of consider your question, Robert. I think that there are a couple things that get at why it's so hard. I feel like from grade school and on through elementary schools, people are really judged and promoted on things like writing and speaking and listening is really not promoted. There's no consideration of it, which is what is so important about this book is that it really sheds light on the skill that we can develop that has a lot of potential to change our relationships and enhance them in ways you communicate very differently with somebody who's distracted versus somebody who's really engaged. I think in school, it's easier to teach writing reading because that's a one-way communication. So listening implies a relationship. Listening implies a connection. That deeper than writing. To create that connections, I need to give myself to the other. And that's when I find the difficulty. For me, listening is difficult because I tend to put myself first and to really listen with the heart. As Janice said, I need to put the other person before me. So it's also an intentional shift of focus. Laura and I are creating a, a course on this, and basically we've divided into sort of styles of listening. What's the purpose of the listening? And also what's the focus of the listener? Is it on myself? 
Is it on the two of us and how we interact? Or is it on the other person entirely? I feel like without that kind of uh, recognition of that, there's no, we can't ever be deliberate, deliberate about it. We're going to just default to a pattern that we always default to instead of being able to modify and focus on the other person fully. I just came from a lunch meeting that someone just requested with me from 1130 to 12. And the entire time I was with her, she was texting. I actually just chose to kind of experience it. And I didn't really say anything. I was thinking, you know, you asked me to have this meeting and I maybe what you're doing is really important and it's having an effect on me. It's making me just kind of sit back and not really give myself. It's reminding me of something I learned from Jenny when she came and gave a talk here at BI and someone important came in late and left early. She stopped her talk and said, I've really changed my frame about when people come in late or leave early um, to a talk that I'm giving. It, it makes me think, wow, they really cared so much about being here that they fit it into a busy day. I, I thought that was such an incredible frame and it, it sort of offered this transparency to this small audience about how it didn't affect her in a negative way. It even made her feel good that this important person came late and left early. I mean, not that they were late and early, but that they came. It strikes me as something that maybe we could do when we're distracted by the way we're receiving someone else's ability to listen or, or distraction. Oh, that's so interesting. How do you hear that, Robert? And all of you? Well, I hear that a little bit like how I feel about if people haven't prepared for a class that I'm mm. teaching. And I just figure they're here, I'm here, I'm going to make the best of it instead of how I used to feel, which was, look, I prepared and you didn't. And you violated this contract that I have in mind and you're a jerk. And, and you disrespected me. Yeah, yeah, somehow, yeah. But to me, it's sort of akin to what we're talking about. It's like when someone's multitasking and you can feel disrespected, we can also have compassion for everything that they're trying to do at that moment and, and maybe give them the benefit of that doubt. How do we teach that? I mean, I think what we're talking about when we're talking about listening is it also it's it's also about a deeper conversation, which is like, what do we value and how do we value the other person? As we often do with any of our concepts, you know, taking them around the cold cycle and really having them experience some of that is maybe a way to help people light a light bulb for them about the value of, of, of some of these concepts. Rebecca's notion of how do you show that you care about this person? How do you be present? So those types of notions, those central notions are the ones that are worth teasing out because they can change frames. <laughs> so how many times have you heard of, you know, some person described as when this person was talking to you, you were the only person in the room. You felt like you were the only person in the room, you know, and that's such a high compliment. That attention counts. And not only does it make someone feel good, it gives you a lot more influence. I don't think it's too far a leap to extrapolate that when we use those listening skills that you're describing, Rebecca, you build a trust that gives you more influence in many other arenas, whether mm -hmm. it's, you mm -hmm. know, teaching or anything mm -hmm. else. We all, when we debrief, the debrief day three, day four of the course. So we have the material is there. So I think we need to structure the way to give feedback on that with a module or something that doesn't add too much complexity, but it's helpful. So I'm looking forward to it. I've taken away this notion that listening itself is a gift. It's a gift that I give. When we went over to electronic medical record documentation, I made a conscious decision not to be on the computer and trying to listen and talk to the patient. And I don't touch the computer unless 
it's time to write an order for a prescription. And then I always apologize first and I say, I'm really sorry I have to turn my back to you. All I'm doing is writing a prescription so it will be in the mail and in your pharmacy by the time you drive home. Yesterday, we had the opposite experience. We went to the pediatrician, spent around 12 minutes in the office. It was more than 11 minutes, the pediatrician looking and typing on the screen. Unbelievable, but not mm -hmm. unbelievable. It's yeah. what's happening with the electronic health record. So what you said, Roxanne, yes, it creates an impact, a really big impact. I arrived kind of late, but I want you, I want you to know that doesn't mean that I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are so happy you joined us, Robert, and fit it into your very busy day. Um, I want to add one last thing to what Roxanne said that it's her, Roxanne, it's your gift to give, but it's also a gift to yourself to be present in the moment. Um, just as we teach in the IMS to give to yourself, to be present in the moment, to be unfettered by other obligations, because I wonder if your relationships are not richer with mm -hmm. your patients because of your gift to them, and in turn, that gives back to you. That's something I think I'm going to remind myself when I find my focus straying and when I am not really looking beyond the words of somebody, if that's what I need to be doing at that moment, to help remind me that it is a gift to myself, too. So thank you all so much. Thank you for your time. Were there any last thoughts before we adjourn? I appreciate all your presences. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> gifts. You're all gifts. Yes. <laughs> The CMS Book Club is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about the Center for Medical Simulation and sign up for our simulation instructor training at www.harvardmedsim.org. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.